you mentioned as we have come to know Christ, we then have the battle of then still being tempted by the darkness. And so you mentioned Psalm 119.105, we go to the Word. Next, we partner um, with brothers in Christ to make ourselves accountable. And you mentioned, and I don't remember, was it Second John? I thought you said two seven. First when, John two uh, seven. First John yeah. two seven. But I looked at First John two seven and Second John two seven. Could you quote that verse again? Yeah. Um, so I can make sure that I find the right place. First John two seventeen. I'm sorry, uh, two seven, not seventeen. Seven. It's not two seven. You know what? It's one seven. I I was I was the source of confusion. Um, yeah, one seven. First John one seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. You're welcome. You know, actually, that so that verse isn't the one that I that I quoted, uh, but it is applicable. So First John one seven is applicable, and then. Yeah, and then, okay, um, yeah, two, two ten is what I quoted. So, uh, but yeah, well, I I think I think to expand a little bit more on two ten, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Um, there, uh, you know, should be a, a stirring up of love within ourselves towards others. And in the context of First John, uh, that can mean something as simple as providing goods, whether it be clothes or food, uh, to someone. Um, I think it uh, pertains to loving the truth. So it could be speaking encouragement to somebody else. Uh, providing for their needs. Um, so it's just kind of the basics, I think. Being around other believers and, I mean, you know, in a, in a time like this, uh, in, in light of Wendell's death, First Thessalonians chapter 4, encourage one another with these words. And it talks about the ones who are asleep in Jesus having first dibs on seeing Christ. And then we're, we're going to be with, with uh, Christ together forever. Um, you know, we might think that that's just kind of silly Bible memorization, but it is, I think, crucial that we think about those things and we talk about those things. Um, so that's kind of... All I have right now, but yeah.
Anybody else? Yeah, Deb. I uh, appreciated the whole thing, but at the end, um, so it would have been like in C, and t- after two, you kind of gave a recap that I really liked about the gospel in general. It has to, you know, deal with sin, or I wrote this stuff down, but I was wondering if you could give this synopsis again, because I thought it was pretty pretty poignant, you know, sharp and punchy, to the point. <laughs> yeah, um... It was. You said it was towards the end. Okay. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. What I said was, um, our gospel must be one that exposes sin, deals with wickedness, and then helps the helps the sinner to understand that his. I don't know if I said this, but uh, helps the sinner to understand that his behavior is intimately tied to his desires. You're welcome. Okay, yes, Greg. I thought it was good that you uh, began by talking about how Nicodemus wanted fact, or some, some, you were talking about, in general, when we talk to people about the gospel, a lot of them will be seeking facts. They will want to know things before they want to really consider. I remember very, very, very acutely doing that to Joel when he presented the gospel to me. And it was a diversion. You know, I didn't really, that really wasn't the key. Uh, and and uh, Joel was patient with me. And it eventually said, is that really, are these really the issues, Greg, that you were most concerned about? And and he was right. It was, they weren't. Uh, I mean, we've all heard, you know, what about the people in wherever and and that haven't heard the gospel and all kinds of things. But those are, they're a product of the evil one and our evil hearts uh, too. Uh, and it's good if we just get to the heart of things, you know, with people and, and, and not get into that game where we have to answer all their questions because that's really not where they're coming from. That's not what's hindering them and yeah. will only uh, divert us from the from the really what we're needing to do. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I can think of a conversation I had at, <clears throat> at work, and usually the conversations I have at work aren't initiated by me. <laughs> uh, but uh, there was a particular uh, young man, he was probably my age, and he had uh, he had said, well, you can't trust, you can't trust uh, documents that were written in the past uh, 
because they could have been corrupted or used by the government to control people. I said, so I'm, I'm just curious, what's your standard for determining whether a historical document is accurate or trustworthy? I said, like, the existence of George Washington. He said, well, we have, we have documents uh, that, you know, testified to the fact that he existed. And we have his signature on the Declaration of Independence, which I'm thinking, I don't know if he actually wrote his signature on the Declaration of Independence. But I said, so a signature is what you're after. He said, yeah, we don't have God's signature. And so, but I've, you know, I've spoken with Jeremy, uh, Jeremy about this, and he said, he said, but really when it comes down to it, it's like, really, if you just had that, you would bow your knee to Christ and turn away from your sins. No, this is something more. Anybody else? Mitchell, I just wanted to say thank you for condensing that down into some principles that I can just have in my mind. I can give a lot of detail, but to keep those points just there, and then I can fill in later on, I really appreciate that. And the points that you brought up, the one that Deb mentioned already about we need the unbeliever to understand um, what his need is and where his heart desires come from. So thank you for a great message. And I don't want to take away your reward in heaven, but I did want you to know you did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. Anybody else? Well, if, um, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, thank you again, Mitchell. Uh, pleasure to hear God's word. Um, always a blessing. Um, what ways... I think it's close to your question earlier, but what ways would you say a believer hates the light or doesn't want to come to the light? Um, In some sense, that's not true. Like you said, we've come to light, we've been forgiven. I'd imagine, though, in in other senses, we still, too, are tempted, at least tempted, to enjoy the darkness and love the darkness and hate the light. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about how we as believers might air in that direction. Yeah. Um, well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, is the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul says in chapter one that they're saints, so that they so they are chosen of God. They are elect. They're saved. Uh, in chapter 6, he says that they have been sanctified, they've been cleansed, they have the Holy Spirit. And so it's, 
Paul establishes the fact that they are believers, uh, but he addresses a multitude of problems with their personal lives. Um, having divisions is one of them. Uh, so having cliques in the church, uh, maybe playing favorites, <laughs> uh, rather than seeing seeing the whole church as maybe a ministry opportunity. Um, in addition to that, uh, and and really, I don't. I don't think maybe I would phrase it in a, in a way that uh, in a way that John does. They're not coming to the light. It's maybe uh, they're 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 not living in the light as they ought to. Maybe is so having divisions, um, putting a, a, an inappropriate emphasis on the importance of man. Like, you know, seeing seeing Jeremy as the Grand Woofty. He's the teacher in Martinsville. Well, no, we we have Dave Lample. We have Carol Hardy. Um, we have Daniel. Um, you know, on a, at a, occasionally we have Greg and Al speak. It is it's it's not it's not okay for us to exalt him to a to a position that. Um, that really is no more than just God has, for one reason or another, given him the gift of teaching. He's given others the gift of contribution and of mercy. <laughs> uh, it's almost like making him a celebrity in the church. Um, and so, I mean, those are two examples. I mean, confession of sin I mean, I think I mentioned that briefly. Sometimes we don't confess sin because we, we're embarrassed. We don't want to be transparent with others. Um, but I don't know if that helps. Or Yeah, Bob. Tell me if I'm off base here, but the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm faced with temptation is to think about, you know, what Jesus did in Matthew 4 when he was tempted by Satan is he took and replaced Satan's lie with the truth of God and he went to God's word and he replaced Satan's lie with with the truth of God. So... I was discipled by somebody and, and uh, you know, was taught to think on no temptation has, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to forget it now, but no temptation has, I'm sorry, what? Can be seized you, except as it is no temptation, forgive me, what? <laughs> help, help me. I'm, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation 
will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. So I need to recognize that there is a way to escape, but it's not just enough to know that there's a way of escape. I must take the way of escape in order to not fall into that temptation. And so with that, I was taught the way of escape depending upon what the temptation was. So if it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life, I needed to have a plan. So it was not just enough to have a plan, but I had to execute on the plan to overcome the temptation. So if it was if it was of a sexual nature, if it was of a financial nature, if you know, I had to hold myself accountable. So it kind of went back to that question I asked you. So if if I'm accountable to somebody, I've got somebody I can call and say, hey, I am having this kind of temptation right now. Can we spend some time on the phone and talk about it and help me get over this thing? Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and also um, with, re- with regard to dealing, dealing with temptation or trials, uh, having a, you could say, a collection of verses as your ammunition. So if I'm dealing with anger, I could say, uh, well, John 1, or James 1 tells me, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, Do I want to be righteous like God? Yeah, well, it's foolish to become angry. How do I know it's foolish? Well, Ecclesiastes 7 tells me, that anger lodges in the heart of a fool. James 1 also tells me that I should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger or wrath. So, so if, I, if I have those certain, certain verses, it might be two or it might be five different verses, then I can think through those. Even in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks to the reality that, that his words have a cleansing effect. So I would link that to sanctification. As a you know, my my mind is dirtied by the temptations of the world or something like that, or or I've I've bought into certain lies, and God's word is going to help me to be renewed. So So putting together what you both have said here, it sounds sort of like in addition to other things that are being said, but one aspect of it sounds like if there's sin that I'm not taking at least seriously enough to plan to overcome it, assuming I have the Holy Spirit, then in some way that's a demonstration of loving the darkness and loving my sin more than loving the light and coming to the light. So it's a demonstration of not coming to the light if I continue in sin that I know about. If there are no more questions, we can be dismissed a little bit early today. 
Uh, and just uh, remember all these things, and we'll, we'll see you next week. And thank you again, Mitchell.